Hi everybody, this is Afro Leeds, the podcast. As you all know, Afro Leeds consists of two sisters, myself, Steph, and my sister, Julie, and we're on a mission to promote Black British business and culture. At present, we have multiple social media platforms, our most prominent being Instagram, where we post positive posts, features um, about Black business, groups, communities, celebrities, music, and so much more. Today's guest and former Man Crush Monday post is a fabulous husband, father, teacher and former principal, no less, and also author, Mr. Geoffrey Boachi. Born and raised in Brixton and of Ghanaian heritage, Geoffrey now resides in Yorkshire. He's written several books. His most recent, I Heard What You Said, is a timely exploration of how we can dismantle racism in the classroom and do better by all of our students. Jeffrey shares his insights as a former black student, English teacher and headmaster who was often felt on the margins of the British education system. The book includes enlightening encounters based on the often challenging and sometimes outrageous things people have said to him or about him. 2023 is earmarked for the first of three fictional books due to be released. Kofi and the Rap Battle Summer, we are here for this. Congratulations, Jeffrey. Keep on shining, representing and being a guiding light for the much needed change in our society. Your current and up and coming publications are a beacon of light for all society. And we thank you. Welcome. Look at that for a welcome. Thank you so much. That's like my whole TV getting read out. (laughs) Jeez, how does it um, feel hearing all of that back? It's amazing to hear it. Yeah, yeah. it's good because I'm I'm just one of these people that loves the project. So I just like getting on with things and getting them to the point where there's an outcome. So a lot of the things I've done outside of teaching have been sort of projects that I thought that could be something. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to work it all the way through. So so yeah, it's it's um yeah, proof that I'm on some kind of journey here, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just on the journey. I don't know where I am on the journey, but I'm definitely on the journey. Well, it's definitely inspiring. Yeah. I think um when obviously we, we wrote the original post, there was lots of really positive feedback, whether it was from younger students or people that work in education, but reading it or hearing it back now, it's still got that same amount of power. It still resonates, it's lovely. Yeah, and I think, I mean, we'll get into it, but although like your books are like marketed towards kind of young kind of adults or younger readers, I as an adult, I've really, I'm really enjoying reading Musical Truth. I'm loving it. Yeah, we'll listen, Musical um, Truth was, was always... It's ostensibly aimed at kids, right? But the <laughs> truth is that I always wrote it to the young person in everyone, which mm-hmm. which was always my aim. I kind of wanted it to speak to every generation, which is ridiculously ambitious. But that's why that the tone of it is, it's not patronising, but it's very simple because mm. I want to speak directly to the truth of, you know, different generational experiences, which made it quite hard to write. But I'm really pleased that, that people are liking it, that adults are reading it, people reading it with their kids, because yeah. we're all babies, man. That's very profound. I've just said we're all babies. Oh, that's <laughs> that's well, a Yoda-like thing to say. <laughs> I can see why you got with my brother now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know, I guess because we're talking about it now, but I just, I think it, no, we'll go, we'll, we'll go. But I, I think it's brilliant. I just love how, it's really immersive, and I I, do, I wonder. And the reason why I say that is, it, um, you've got this brilliant accompanying soundtrack on YouTube that you can watch, which is why, like, seeing you in your study now, it's like, oh wow, that's what you did, like your intro to the the book, and then you can listen to each of the tracks after, whether before or after. Sometimes yeah. it depends on my mood, and you can really, and I just can, could see it like being a lesson in school. I I learned about so much and learning about so much. Um, you know, I think you put you put the seekers in it, and initially I thought, why are the seekers in it? Mm-hmm. And but then you explain that, and it's just really powerful. I just love it. I love it all. It's just a really kind of multi-sensory experience, actually, because oh, you're not just reading it, you're listening to it and feeling yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And taking you back and some songs, um, you know, like the My Sweet Mother song. I've yes. been aware of it, but I'd never heard of it as a song, actually. So then it's like, mm. it's often referenced so much, there are cards that say my dear sweet mother and all stuff like that. Yeah. And to know, it comes from this, like, it's amazing. <laughs> What's yeah. 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 That's amazing. Cool. You know, one of the things that I'm very much aware of in terms of writing books is that you're up against social media, you're up against Netflix. And I realised that books have this thing where they can be they could be commentary to other things. 
Mm-hmm. And that really fascinating. So a lot of the time I write a book and it's not just, you know, words on a page, but it's a way into other experiences. So I often write about music because I love the way that music you can consume, but then the commentary that comes with it opens up the conversation. Mm-hmm. So Musical Truth is a really good example of that, where it was, it's not just the book, it's supposed to be like a party, a history lesson, yeah. experience, you know, a personal kind of sharing of songs that I think are important. And the book is just a way into all of that. So it's a lovely thing to hear that it's connecting with people like really- yeah. yeah I'm really really enjoying it. almost finished but yeah just so thank you I think it's really I've never known a book have that although I think just one of your other is it whole tight yeah it's just longer it's like 70 plus songs oh all, wow it's all about grime and so it's oh, very nice. focused on that genre and I just sort of took I take the reader on a chronological journey from pre-grime all the way through to like the most up-to-date grime tracks and just explaining the songs that I think are important and why they're important and how they've affected me. So, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a, it's quite a fun way of writing too, because I love music. Yeah. So it's a chance for me to listen to music. Amazing. So let's go back to the beginning. So yeah. and we've gone completely off page <laughs> here. Sorry. And I'm very Let's go back to young Jeffrey. So you were born and raised in Brixton. What was that like for you? Like in my head, obviously from being a Yorkshire girl, I have an impression of what Black Britain looked like in London, but that's not yeah. always the truth. You know, some okay, people okay. have a different truth of, 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 of upbringing. So if you can paint a picture of young Jeffrey, his life and, and, and family, siblings, etc., and what, what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, growing up in Brixton, because I grew up in Brixton in the 80s and 90s. So you know, Brixton had riots in the early 1980s. I was too, I'm, I'm too young to remember the riots, but I grew up in the wake of like serious social unrest. They're called riots, they're uprisings, protests that mm-hmm. got out of hand because, you know, there isn't a playbook for how to be upset. So it was very much, I was very much in a hub for Black British communities. A lot of West Indian communities live in Brixton or lived in Brixton. So I grew up around a lot of West Indians Right. Um, which is important because obviously I'm of Ghanaian heritage. Yeah. So, so it's a very different background. Some people think that all black people are the same, come from the same place, have the same like cultural history. Not true. So I was kind of learning about the Caribbean, you know, the mm-hmm. food, culture, the history, whilst also having a very, very strong Ghanaian culture and heritage at home. But what that meant was that I didn't realise it at the time, but I was in a real like, there have always been hubs for different sort of parts of the diaspora. And Brixton was one of the hubs, you know, it was one of the places where black communities were really sort of like embedded. So I just felt without realizing it, that I had a whole curriculum in blackness that was sort of just around me, you know? So I never really thought that hard about being different because I was black, because I was Mm -hmm. surrounded by a lot of black people. Mm -hmm. It was only as I got further in education, you know, got further into the school system than I even realised. But Britain's like, you know, like a lot of places where immigrants end up, it's not the, it's, it's, it's got issues of poverty and social deprivation, you know, and then everything that comes with that, you know, some crime and stuff. But it wasn't a gritty place to live. I grew up on the States. I didn't know any different, but it didn't feel like, like rough and tough. Things happened. Mm. It just felt, to me, it felt pretty normal. But maybe that's something I knew. You know, so yeah, so in a nutshell, that's kind of what it felt like for me growing up. And I very quickly had to learn how to navigate all of that. But I've got two older sisters, which mm. is a game changer for me. You can tell I'm the baby. I bet you, yeah, actually, I should have asked you. Could you tell? I'm the baby. <laughs> yes, yes, I could. <laughs> no, it's obvious I'm the baby. I've got two older sisters, and like I looked at the world through their eyes. So for me, it wasn't just like, you know, Black Britain or whatever, but it was very much the Black female experience. That's what I was watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I learned about the world through two, you know, teenage and older young black women looking at the world, which was a real, that's a real benefit to, I would recommend everyone having two older sisters. (laughs) (laughs) Very useful thing to have, trust me. So, yeah. (laughs) That's really cute. And I think the reason why I always say about the whole Black Britain experience, because I 
it used to get really defensive if somebody would say, um, or just assume, or you, you know, London, you know, but it's full of, you know, Africans or black British people mm. and, and you'd feel really comfortable there. And I, I would take it as a, I don't know, not insulting, but I would, I personally, from being from a Yorkshire, you know, Yorkshire environment, all my friends being predominantly white, mm. I, I would always get really offended or feel very sort of, I don't know, put into a, a bracket that I yeah. didn't vis visually see myself fitting in. I would probably, in a nutshell, think I'd have more in common with Emmerdale than I would at the time right, of right. Potboy or, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. film Yardy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why I got offended by it. There's nothing wrong about being, you know, from a um, from London and identifying in, in those mm. circles. There's nothing wrong with identifying and as a as a black person that's more associated with a white background. Yeah. But I suppose when I was younger, I, I I don't know. I just didn't fit into yeah what people saw of me, and that's why right. I was like okay. And then as I've got older and I have much more uh, of a variety of friendship groups. What, like you say, to be to, for my one friend to be from Brixton, one friend to be from Peckham, one friend to be from you know wherever in London, they may all be from the Caribbean or from a you know that mm. uh, their family being from that background, but they're all very different Black British yeah, people, exactly, you know. Exactly. So your journey and your experience, I find it really interesting. I love the fact that yeah. you are still like the baby and protected by your big sisters, you know, regardless. Yeah, yeah. I think so, to an extent. I mean, I think that one of the things you've just said that really resonates is that I very much, um, I've never wanted to like fit into any preconceived notions or stereotypes as to what I should be. And I Good. think that's what is in me. I've always been wanting to sort of do my own thing. And I was always interested in alternative like routes. So yeah. I, I'm very much not like a roadman and I'm very much not a rude boy. That's what yeah. we used to call ourselves back in the nineties, like you were a rude boy. And I just, I've <laughs> never been there. I never, ever had the cool trainers. I didn't want to wear what a lot of, you know, like cool streetwear. I got into other stuff. I got into like skate culture, like comics, you know, I would hang out in parts of like, central london and the west end where prototype hipsters would hang out and i got into other alternative things the musical mm -hmm. was quite eclectic my friends were just like everyone from everywhere so I, I i sort of knew from an early age that i didn't want to be pigeonholed and mm -hmm. one of the things is that blackness very quickly gets pigeonholed like yeah yeah, yeah. people I, I i can remember being probably about 10 maybe a bit younger and people saying to me at primary school, you don't sound black. Like, yeah. they don't say that. Like you. How, how terrible is that, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just because I didn't speak in the particular way that people expected young black boys from Brixton to talk. I sounded right. like this. So, and I, I remember at a time in my head, age 10, thinking like, good. Like, I wanted to sound like me. And I'm, yeah. I don't have stuff. And I'll buy clothes from charity shops and like, look like, you know, alternative person, whatever. But I like that because yeah. I felt empowered. Um, I'm not sure. I need to get a therapist to work it all out for me, what that means, what I was doing, you know, why <laughs> I was back. But there was something instinctive where I wanted mm. to be me first and then the other parts of my identity would come second, sort of, you know. That's really progressive at such a young age. My, our, our brother's very much like that. Um, yeah, but I think it's right, though, like you are you first and foremost and also you're defining what you what you is instead of letting yeah. the world do what you should wear what music you should listen to yeah, you should, you should but at 10 yeah. like most people up to the age of i don't know where you go to university and you can kind of explore your avenue a bit more and you're not under the constraints of school most people assimilate especially most people that are from ethnic diverse backgrounds you assimilate to fit in you don't want to stand out your parents even tell you you work as twice as hard to get half as far you keep your nose clean you just get crap on and so you do try and fit in so at 10 to know this is who i am yeah. i don't mind standing out to be different i like the fact that you don't classify me as everybody else that looks like me that is so progressive that's so different it is yeah and I feel like I it was something that I I sort of embraced so at every stage of my educational career I was the only one to go from that school to the next school wow I feel like even when I left primary school I wanted it that way 
So all my friends went to like two schools. You know how, how it is? I was yeah. Yeah. To school. I was like, I want to go to that school. And it was further away and it was, you know, hard to get to. And I was the only one. So I would turn up at my new school and have to look around and be like, right, now I need to work out this new place. And it was the same mm. in college and the same to uni and so on. So I've got very used to being, um, you know, like not a loner, <laughs> but, but <laughs> kind of operating on my own steam. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's that's something which has helped me to sort of it's given me the space to work out in my own head who I am, mm. what is motivating me before I get swept into any tides and crowds. And my blackness, if you want to call it that, is very much like my blackness, which is I think the same for everyone. That's a spoiler. Like there's no one way of being anything. Like yeah. it's different, everyone's got different experiences. And all of it fits. You can be Carlton Banks. You can be the Fresh Prince. It's all that, you know. It's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, and, and and I think more so people are learning to be unapologetically themselves because sometimes so. you might be that, but then kind of come maybe compensate. Yeah. Maybe not kind of be that in certain spaces. But I think increasingly now people are just like, this is this is me. This is what yeah. I'm interested and then take it or leave it really which is which is good we need to and that's part of what we do we want to kind of spread that the black british narrative is diverse diverse. (laughs) all power to you it's an amazing thing that you're doing just to kind of support that and to spotlight that i think that's very important yeah so when you were navigating your your the younger um you know younger strengths your younger desires motivations etc had you always been so talented in the type of creative side of things so writing public speaking engaging with different networks of people or is it something that you've worked at um writing's always been there but I feel like a lot of a lot of the the skill that I've developed in lots of areas comes from the fact that I grew up with a stutter which always surprises people wow I didn't know this yeah, it's, it's not something I talk about a lot, but like some people know, but I I basically have a stutter. You never really lose it, which is interesting, but you wouldn't think it because I do radio for a living and I've been a teacher 15 years and I'm talking to you now fairly fluently, it would mm-hmm. seem, right? But having a stutter is mad because as a kid, it meant that I knew I couldn't speak fluently and I would be in situations where I had to speak and it was debilitating, right? Mm-hmm. So what that meant was, I had to work out how I was going to get through life, not being able to speak. And this was quite tricky. Sometimes I'll just like skip school because I knew that I'd have to read something out loud and just the pressure would get to me and I'd just pretend to be ill or whatever. But I realized as like a young teen that that's not going to fly, like the world's not going to wait for me. So having a start as interesting because your thoughts and your feelings are not the same as the words that come out of your mouth. You're aware that words are very artificial because people that are fluent, you think it and you say it mm. and it feels like it's one thing, but it's just not the case. All your thoughts and your feelings, when you can't get the words out, they get stuck. So the words are very much constructed. So I think if I psychoanalyze myself, that made me a writer because I had to think about words all the wow. time. And I was aware that words were not the same as the thought and the feeling. So you can mm. play with words to create. And I was aware of nuance because there are some words I couldn't say. So that makes me like a like an editor the whole time. And also I learned about performance because when you speak, it's performance. And so I learned that when I performed, when I acted, I could be fluent because I wasn't kind of being myself. So a lot of myself became performance space to live in because you realize that you can perform identity. So you're aware of its artificiality. And that's something which I, you know, it's like the best of me and the worst of me that I can sort of perform on my identity, or at least mm. I'm it's a bit far, it's a bit further away from the essential me than maybe it's the same thing. So all of that, I feel like that really helped me to, to kind of flourish as a person, because it forced me to not only be resilient, but to work out creative ways of expressing myself. And also, when you have a stutter, one of the ways to avoid stuttering is to just speak from the heart and speak with passion. 
So mm-hmm. I thought a lot about what do I really mean and what do I really feel more than how am I going to say it? Because when you really mean it and when you really mm-hmm. feel it, there's no time to worry about how it's coming out. It's like when you're singing, it just comes out of you from a raw, a raw place. So that's how I think. That's how I write. That's how I speak. That's how I connect with people. Like it's a hundred percent authentic or not. And if it's not, then there's no point. So that's the energy that I bring into the world. And that kind of explains why, why I keep doing stuff. If that makes any sense. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it definitely does. And thank you for sharing that. That's really no, that's right. yeah, I think, yeah. you know, if there's somebody out there listening who may um, have a similar um, uh, issue with stuttering and or even other things that they're trying to overcome, it's to see you where you're at and then to know that you've overcome that. Um, and as you say, you never lose it, but you're kind of still working and, and doing yeah. it. Yeah. And holding you back. But actually, actually, that, that in some way is... Um, just superpower. Nurture your gift. Yeah, hundred percent. I just, I, I'm a firm believer that everyone has got at least one superpower, but is uh, one hair away from their weakest thing, their weakest point. And it's about understanding what that is, and then just riding that in a positive direction. You know, we talked about Will Smith earlier. Like his superpower is his weakness. He he just overcompensates. He he just overcompensates. Like the way he acts, the way he attacks projects, it's too much. It's mm-hmm. too much. So when he went up and sm- smacked Chris Rock, it was an overcompensation. Like I saw it coming. Like, this man here, the way he's lived his life, he goes over the top, and when it works out for him, Hollywood superstar. When it goes wrong for him, smacking people in public. Like, what are you yeah. doing? It's all the same person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my little yeah. psychoanalysis of Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true, though. There's a, there's a couple of people that I've spoken to, and when when you, they look back at their biggest weaknesses, in mm. inverted commas, not weaknesses, but, you know, places in their lives which have been quite, you know, adverse and, you know, borderline could have broken them. Yeah. It's made them. And obviously hindsight is a wonderful thing, but yeah. having a platform and a voice like yourself um, and just like you say, the passion that you speak with, it's it's really, really, really insightful and just so encouraging. I love yeah, it. Definitely. Amazing. And I wish you were my head teacher. <laughs> I, would, I would have been like Oprah by now. If you were my head, I would just be like, Oprah, just dishing away cars by now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I'm I'm intrigued like obviously we're uh, like gonna have Ghanaian parents and I'm just wondering like, with what what are your parents like were they did they encourage you to write did they encourage and what came first the desire to become a writer or a teacher or, or you know yeah um I've got very very traditional in the sense that the immigrant playbook is always the same like do well at school you know put your head down, get as many qualifications as you can and get a good job, whatever that means. I'm doing air quotes for people listening, by the way. <laughs> um, so that was always on the cards, get to university. You know, that was that was the yeah. big mission. So my sisters get to university, I get to university. Um, studying books was always going to be a big thing. I naturally like books. My dad just put me in proximity to books from a very young age. So I was just in libraries and so on. So that was always useful. But I feel like, because I was the youngest, I'm, I'm really grateful for it. I just didn't have the pressure put upon me that the eldest would have had. Like, I know my eldest sister probably wanted to do some other things, but she went down a very scientific route, you know, with a view to becoming a doctor or something like that, or some kind of medicine. But I know that, you know, she's an artist, basically. But as the firstborn, I thought the pressure was there where she, she wasn't allowed to, you know, flourish in that direction. So I, on the other hand, I felt like I had a lot of freedom. Mm. So I just feel very fortunate because it was helpful that I liked books. So my mum and my dad in particular would be like, okay, that's fine. We don't have to worry about him anymore because he likes reading. And I liked writing because it was something I could do on my own and it was cheap. So that was fine, you know. So they left me to do that. But I was under no pressure to become you know a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor you know or any of the typical jobs like that list of five jobs that that a lot of um families think you've made it if you are that thing so that's kind of how I was allowed to, to pursue English because mm-hmm. um, it's not is, is, is it the first born son job English teacher I don't know I, I I don't think it is I don't think it's the job that you'd give to the first born son English teacher it's probably lawyer would come first doctor definitely 
So the fact that I was allowed to do that, I feel like um, I'm grateful for it. And also just, I'm just like, I've got such a good relationship with my mum, you know, such a close relationship with my mum. She she just worked incredibly hard to put mm. us all for uni. And, you know, she was working way too many jobs for way too long. Um, but she definitely instilled a few things, like a few ways of being that I've soaked up for better or for worse. She's She's a real people person. She's a bit of a people pleaser. I'm the same. And again, that can work in your favour or not. But that energy of connecting with people can be like rocket fuel, you know, because sometimes it means that I just don't put myself first. Like yeah. it's one of the things that makes me a teacher. I can actually get out of my own head and worry 100% about someone else um, and go overboard for them because they're important. But I feed off that. So I'm getting something from it too. And my yeah. mom, just like that she's exactly like that you know she'll run around for everyone and not think about herself but it makes her feel better as well so yeah. can't judge her for it you know that's so nice we have two younger brothers and our youngest brother yeah. is very much your journey like really yeah when I look at his journey compared to ours he has he's teflon coated that is I think the phrase <laughs> is he, nothing to <laughs> um and the pressure is definitely julie's first born she's a doctor but you've always wanted to be a doctor to be honest i did as alongside other things which i was told i could do in my spare time <laughs> there we go there we go i knew it like, like julie was really good at like languages you can do that in your spare time okay <laughs> okay mom thanks there you thanks go. so much yeah, 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 yeah. I'm definitely encouraged but no I, I do think I think it's lovely I think it's great I think we need to be um encouraging the gifting in 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 every individual person whatever that is and but not, you can't blame like oh, no, no, you I can't blame at like I at the time I used to really curse my mom because I and dad for not like they were always like you be be this be this be this and I was the rebellious one um yeah. uh but I I think that for their mindset was do jobs that people can't take away from you. If you've got your education, you've got your degree certificate, you've got your me medical practice, um, what do they call it? Practice certificate or whatever it's called. It makes you a GP. Um, you've met many years of education. I'm not dumbing it down, but whatever, whatever <laughs> they gave you after you graduated. Yeah. Special <laughs> hat, whatever it is. Special <laughs> hat, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, when you get that, you know, very difficult to take that away from you you know and it's a job for life essentially I understand the background of that but uh, I think now I'm a new mum and I just want my baby to be happy and I, 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 and I think I'm, I'm blessed obviously because I'm not first generation like I know the system I can navigate I'm not an expert and obviously I don't have all of the legacy of other people that I've you know got you know millions of in the bank and lots of connections in legal and you know all these finance companies etc but I don't have the fear of God, you know, I I, I do think yeah. I could really navigate a system and really advocate for my children or child. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting what you say, that the youngest always gets the freedom. Yeah, that's probably, I'm, I'm not sure if it's 100% true in 100% of cases, but there's definitely just an easing off. Like parenting is, you can't be as intense with number three as you were with number one, because you've got numbers one and two and you're tired, you know, you're like 10 years older. So I feel like, yeah, there's, there's definitely some of that. I, I was, I was left to my own devices a lot and it just so happened I didn't get into a lot of trouble, but I was allowed certain freedoms, you know, yeah, just like, yeah, just hanging about in different parts of London and meeting friends and so on and exploring various worlds, um, which when I think back, I'm just so grateful that I had that mm. trust, you know, that was really important. And as, as long as I was doing okay in school, my parents didn't really worry too much. So Amazing. when you were, uh, this might be going off on the tangent a little bit, but obviously okay. you, that you had quite a lot of freedom and you'd go to the West End as opposed to being sort of what people may class the stereotype of a young black lad in London. We, because at one point we, our family, my mum wanted us to move to London because it was such a white area where we lived. Um, and then obviously the horrific murder of Stephen Lawrence happened and my mum was like regardless of being a minority but at least we're safe here you know yeah. Yeah. Um, so I suppose my question is did you ever feel like the the, the weight of because in our in our eyes it was all media we could only listen to what we, we were told you were living in your own reality of London which was not that, that every single day yeah so 
when things horrific things like that happen how did it make you feel how did it impact yeah, your life I mean, family yeah I feel like uh one of the realities of growing up in London growing up in any sort of like inner city is that you do have to learn how to navigate the city and as a young like black male in particular between the ages of maybe like 12 13 and like 23 24 it's the most dangerous time to be out because you just have yes. a proximity to like a certain level of you know like social problems that are kind of common across all youth you know mm-hmm. it's like glasgow back in the day the most violent city in europe full stop mm-hmm. That was not about race, you know, that was about youth violence and deprivation. So any city has got that. But Mm. when you add that to racial kind of politics, um, yeah, it was dangerous. I had to learn how to be safe. You know, I was traversing through London on my own a lot of the time. And it means that streetwise is the word that you'd have to use. Yeah definitely a skill that you learn like how to get out safely where to go where to not go um how to carry yourself when you're walking mm-hmm. through certain areas so even now I've, I've got like you know hangovers of how I am in certain parts of London you know how I carry myself at night um in all sorts of ways so if I end up having to go through an estate I like first of all I won't go through an estate unless I absolutely have to and there's a way of walking that shows intent and purpose that you're not lost that you're not a victim because mm. the were too high like I know I know people that have got in all sorts of trouble people that have got you know mugs people that got stabbed people that you know got themselves arrested people that got themselves victimized in lots of different ways so you had to learn how to not become that mm. and one way of doing it unfortunately is bravado and becoming aggressive like putting on the armor of masculinity I never did that but I felt like by not diving into those worlds it gave me a bit of distance from it so I was never seen as part of it Mm. strategies they're all strategies ways of surviving Mm. so that's that's something which I I had to learn you know and yeah there's been all, all sorts of mad experiences I've had I've had people pull like a gun on me before you know um but it turns out it was a pellet gun, but I knew that it was a pellet gun because I know what a pellet gun looks like because, because I hung out with people that had pellet guns, you know, <laughs> and like people like, like trying to mug you and seeing your friends get mugged. So like, there's all sorts of experiences that when I think back on it, it's like, this is trauma. You know? awful. This is awful. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of normal at the time, it's you know. Right. Yeah, I guess it's everyday life or everyday yeah. experience. Yeah, a lot of my friends would be like, you know, of all races would be like carrying weapons. Just I, I just wondered the contrast to then your move to Yorkshire and maybe some of that knowledge about being aware and in different circumstances might be translated to different because I do think sometimes there are threats but they're different and maybe they're maybe not as um covert in it I'll have to think about how you'd maybe enter certain situations yeah thing i don't know like just just from us that's um that's a really important one because even though everything i've just described sounds like horrendously unsafe the basic safety was that i wasn't surrounded by like malevolent white people yeah where stephen lawrence was murdered Mm. that was part of the what is like the suburbs you know there were some Mm. serious issues with racism in those suburban places like outside Mm. the city those places scare me to this day like i I, want to get lost in these suburban areas mm-hmm. where dominant whiteness has been left to feed itself for generations that's what led to a bunch of teenage boys stabbing a black kid because he's mm. black like, mm. that was, they were very close to black people and black communities mm. so that's always scared me and I feel like even though yeah parts of London that I lived in had their social deprivation their you know their crime and so on I felt safe Mm. I'm safe in that environment because the NF weren't out to get me in those places because they want to come to Brixton. Like you wouldn't mm. get the NF in the middle of Brixton because there's too many Jamaicans around. So, mm. um, so I feel like in a weird sort of way, I've kind of felt safe, even though it was dangerous. 
I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's, it, it, when you start to having these conversations, like you have, well, I instantly think about other situations that have happened in my life. Obviously not being in Hull um, or in Yorkshire, there's never been anything that was like knife or gun. But you kind of think when, when you were saying about how you would switch up the way you would walk and be more masculine in terms of presence and things, I would, you know, essentially it sounds really lame actually saying it out loud, but can only relate to like code switching in different situations at work, maybe or at college, yeah. at, at sixth form and things like that. But essentially it's, it's more or less the same premise, isn't it really? You learn how to navigate and yeah. mask yourself and be in, in, or exist in different environments really just to survive. Yeah, yeah. And that's all it is. It's just pure survival and working mm. out what you need to do to sort of be like that. But then I feel like I've always confused people as well because people assume that you're one thing. And mm. been, I've been approached by people when trying to start something and then they talk to me and I'm just like this, the same, yeah. energy, the same sort of like ready to have a laugh and they just don't know what to make of you, you know, and it's just it's kind of funny when that happened. So the guy that pulled the gun on me and he was like trying to mug me for a travel card because they were quite expensive. And then I gave him my travel card. I was really annoyed at myself that I'd given in. I was like, ah. So the next <laughs> day I went back home and I had a collection of old travel cards, like a really thick collection. Me and my sisters used to collect them. I don't know why. And I took the whole lot and I waited for him at the train station in the morning, I waited, waited, waited. And then when I saw him, I threw them at him. I threw all these travel cards at him. I would not recommend this behavior. This is like deep <laughs> on sight. And he was just so confused. And then and then I was like, remember me? And I threw them at him and I was like, da, da, da. And then later on, like weeks later, I was on the bus and this guy sits next to me like, doom. And he's like, remember me? And it was him. No. But I was so, but I was, I had like my headphones on, I was into music, the sun was shining. I was like, oh, what, you, who, who are you? You're right. And I think I just, <laughs> and I was wearing like a Hawaiian shirt, you know, <laughs> I was trying to be cool. I wasn't wearing like Air Maxes or anything. And I just, I just, I just threw him. Like, he's like, what are you? You know, <laughs> breaking all the rules here, you know. He even left me to it, you know. I would like to chat to him. I'm sure we could have been friends actually. So. <laughs> No, I love that. I love that that you are like different things to different people because I think, like you say, there's not one be all and end all. I think in terms of who we are as a as people. So, and I love that you are somebody that can hang out with the boys, somebody that can obviously relate to your older sisters, somebody that's got a great relationship with your mum. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. You know, it's important. It's like, yeah, it's and just the the further we can get to understanding what's good and true without getting hung up on our on the various bits of our identity the better you know mm. that's really important to me right i'm you know i'm trying to distance myself from masculinity because i don't like masculinity it annoys me that i'm caught by the throat by this thing masculinity with all its rules and insecurities i don't want it so i challenge masculinity and i criticize it all the time because i don't feel like i'm undoing myself and similarly but different i've sort of like embraced blackness as I see it for me rather than just like embracing it as the world has put it upon me you know so I'm very much about trying to get to the truths of things so what does it mean for me to be black what does it mean for me to be male do I even like that and so on so yeah that's that's the journey that I'm on I suppose if that's not that's really interesting I mean I haven't read your book on masculine on toxic masculinity yeah but um that's interesting. So there's me thinking, you know, if you don't like masculinity, or kind of, what is would the reverse be true in terms of like femininity? And do you think it's again, it's this pigeonholing about what you should be, or what you should think, how you should behave, that kind of thing? But yeah, that I mean, know. I feel like um, the more I think about it, I, I just, I just feel like there's so much more value to be had in the experiences of people who are on the wrong end of the seesaw, and I feel like that's where the attention needs to be put and that's where the most learning can be found. So in a world of white supremacy, which is the world we're living in, you know, made up in the 1660s, blackness as a concept offers so much in terms of learning and culture mm. and human spirit and resistance. That's why the blackness in itself is like something to be proud of because blackness has had to exist in a world of white supremacy. Similarly, you know, 
being female, being a woman in a patriarchy, a sexist world, there's so much to be learned from the experiences of women throughout history and the, the ways in which women have had to exist in a sexist and misogynistic world. So it's like, it's not just a case of rejecting whiteness, rejecting the patriarchy, but it's like, you can learn from the other mm. And I, simply, I, I, we can learn so much from, you know, the LGBT community, from mm -hmm. the disabled community, neurodivergent community, from, you know, the working classes, you know, any group of people that have been marginalized mm -hmm. needs to give so much more attention because we can learn a lot. Yeah. And yeah empowered as people which is why that i'll say that every man needs to be a feminist every straight person needs to be anti-homophobic and so on mm -hmm. every white person needs to be anti-racist and so on mm -hmm. like look at the other end of the seesaw i'm so glad you asked that question because i did when you said about being sort of anti or against the masculinity i didn't really understand what you meant right 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 I that breakdown because I, I think my mind went somewhere else sometimes in work you can be described as quite the, the masculine the masculine side of you is that it's the strength you know you're you know yeah. not you're ballsy you're aggressive you know yeah, you, you're yeah, going yeah. and it's like okay cool and it's in my head weirdly it's mm. a positive but I love what you've just I, said there yeah. which is great no no it's that's yeah it's, it's yeah it's I I think about this stuff a lot because mm. it's like a currency isn't it like masculinity is like a currency that we've been invited to value you mm. know? absolutely so because actually being confident aggressive forward that's not masculine or feminine that's just like human traits mm -hmm. and when you actually think about it women have had to be in a lot tougher than men in lots of different ways in, in in all sorts of ways like i can see it now my wife's jacket has got two pockets my jacket's got six pockets yeah i didn't know that until my 30s that you know like, so yeah. Women have had to survive in tougher conditions. That's just one stupid yeah. example, but no, no, no. I get I, it's a great example it's, because it's an everyday kind of thing of yeah. presumption, and yeah, because that's really powerful. Yeah, that's um, a really good question. I like that. Is it something? You, sorry, we'll move on. But is it something that you've always been musing on, or is it something that you've started to think about more since becoming a parent, or like I don't know? Because sometimes in different phases of your life, it just brings uh, different. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. I feel like one of the things I've realised since becoming a parent was that, my goodness, the world teaches these ideas to its children. You know, children learn from the world around them, including their parents. Yeah. So these things that we think are normal and natural, they're just not. We just teach it to kids, I swear to you. You know, we teach boys to be boys and to do this and to do that. And I can see it happening with my kids and it's fascinating so it's something that has been um a challenge to not let the tides of the world sort of like drag my own kids into this direction you know I don't like that I can't do this you know my boys um you know do all sorts of things that are not boy like they do ballet and you know and they they talk about their feelings you know and so you know things that a lot of boys traditionally aren't supposed to do um so um yeah it's 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 made me very aware that you got to think hard about the diet you're giving to your young mm -hmm. people you know it's not an accident and you've got to kind of work at it so yeah mm -hmm. food for thought especially yeah. with um a, a new a new little one in our oh, congratulations you've got the bambino I have 10 months and he is... Oh, wow. It's 11 months. Sorry, 11 months. Was it yesterday or the day before? But it's you look just... great. You look like you've had sleep. <laughs> you know, you know, well, your clothes haven't got food on them. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> 11 oh. months. It's In the last week, he slept with an eye. But yeah, it's... it's oh, it's just... A, the, I, I can't explain it, honestly. It's, well, as you know, it's just... Oh, it's yeah. Just, like, you've been getting a good night's sleep for years. Like, that just goes out the window. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I you, do start, know, you do start thinking about the environment and the diet and the um, the legacy that you lead for for them. Even, I know it's only been 11 months, but I also, like, I, you start thinking crazy things, or what I do anyway, all the time. I'm always thinking, like, his dad's Spanish. Obviously, I'm British, Ghanaian. I want him to have, like, a, a mixture of all these wonderful, the best of all of the cultures. 
I want him to be proud to be from Yorkshire. I want him to be bilingual Spanish. I want him to understand his culture and eat jollof. You know, all of these amazing yeah. and more. Obviously, the more deeper things as well. Um, <laughs> but but where do you start? And then you're thinking, right? I want him to be, you know, <laughs> allies to the LGBTQ community. I want him to, um, you know, be able to be an advocate for a girl. I want him yeah. to you know, all these things. But where do you start? Do but like what you just said there is profound. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, just we just talk about it a lot. My, yeah. my wife and I talk about it a lot. We talk with the boys a lot as, as well. Mm. Um, it's just, you know, not leaving anything to chance and just having the conversations. I think that's really, mm. really important. And that's kind How of old are the boys. Seven and four. Oh. Seven and four, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, very, very sweet. You probably heard them screaming in the background. Being <laughs> <laughs> <Three> angels, <laughs> cherubs, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> so your um the book, the Kofi and the um, rap battle summer yeah, yeah, is yeah. It, it was that or is that for them in particular, or is it something that you've always no, wanted to write? No, um I've 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 always wanted to write a novel because all my books are non-fiction. It's the first one that's like fiction. Mm. And I didn't know how to do plot. I was like, how the hell do you make a story happen? Like, it was maddening to me. And I just kind of worked out. I had loads of ideas for years. And I just put them all together and create characters and set it in the 90s and it worked. Nice. And I, the plot. I was like, oh, okay, I've got a whole story here. So this is, um, part of it is, you know, it's, it's set in the 90s. It's like an all black cast. You know, there's like only a few white characters, a few non-black characters, right? And th that was important because I wanted it to be a universe of just like, this is just the norm mm. for people. So that was special. I also wanted it to be like, you know, you read books when you're little about kids growing up in the countryside and like going on adventures and stuff and, you know, like a pastoral book and there's no like real grittiness to it. Yeah. A book like that, but just set where I grew up, like in a yeah. state in London. So it's not gritty. It's not top boy. It's, yeah. it's not full of, you know, issues and urban decay. It's yeah. full of joy and adventure, but it's just like super realistic. But at the same time, it's like fantasy because when you're growing up in an estate, a radio station that's near you is like a fantastic thing. It's like Harry Potter mm -hmm. or recording music videos off someone else's sky and watching them at home. That's like magic, you know? So yeah. it's like a magical world of realism set in a very black space in the 90s nice and I'm, like, I'm there I'm already there hey. yeah. <laughs> yeah it sounds awesome and, and I just I hope and pray that it gets um whether it's a, an animation or a, a live tv remake yeah it would be amazing definitely like for anyone picking it up on the shelves like anyone picking up any of your books I know we've talked and we haven't got on to your current book that's out but um <laughs> I just think they're really powerful and that especially if this is a fictional series for children like if they can see themselves reflect because often there's a lot of um uh um well you know the stats better than me about young men young boys and, yeah. and reading and because a lot of the stuff that's out there just they can't relate to it so if there's something that they can relate to that's that's great and um oh, I look forward to that what did you say so Julie and my mum and my brother went to Ghana recently and you know, the power and the influence of, of TV adaptations of anything oh, because they get so, translated, oh, don't they? I was just saying, yeah. yeah, the world is so small, isn't it? The world that we live in is so small. Like, you know, you'll go, you'll see kids um, in Ghana wanting to look at their parents' phone because they want to watch Peppa Pig or whatever. But yeah. they were just watching, um, we were saying with some, some relatives uh, who have, like, young children, um, and they the kids were watching cartoons that you'd see here or in America and a lot of them are kind of have white protagonists so mm -hmm. just thinking wouldn't it and they're watching that and I'm just thinking yeah. that's weird I would have thought I mean obviously Ghana Broadcasting Corporation other people need to be making their own stuff yeah. as well, yeah. just yeah. importing stuff but yeah so if we had basically so, so things like is it um Gran and Jojo, Gran and Jojo would, that yeah, was on yeah 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 it's great so when you see things like that on British TV because the BBC exports quite a lot, yeah. it does a lot overseas yeah. too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. It will definitely make make those make those waves and ripple, you know. But yeah, that's that's very exciting. I would I would love to get the really broad reach 
on this oh, one. And it's so good. Story, it's like it's like full of twists and turns. I've written the second one as well, which I'm very pleased with. Which so that's not going to come out until probably the following year. Which is um, can I say the title? I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the title. It's not been announced yet, so I can't say the title yet. But but I finished it. Amazing. Well done. <laughs> well done you. And you know it is it is so go on. As I say, is do you write from this study here or do you? No, no, I, I, I write wherever I can. So I write on my phone while I'm waiting for things. Oh, I, right. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Like I started writing really when I had, when we had our first kid and it's when there was no time and I realized yeah. no time. <laughs> wow. If I'm going to do anything, I'm going to have to make time. So it actually scared me into actually trying to do more because wow. I up all night. So I, I wrote my first book just holding Finley in one oh. arm, screaming, while Sophie was getting a little bit of sleep. And mm. I'm three in the morning and I'd just be writing with one hand on an iPad. So now I, I just write whenever I can. Um, wow. And I don't have a routine. So that's you know, amazing. Yeah. That is one very, that's really impressive. Um, but yeah, I'm already visualising Kofi and the Rap Battle Summer, just international. Uh, let's manifest it. Let's think together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if um, if people listen, it. it'll be it'll be a real movement because it's mm. it's great. It's got it's got adorable characters, a big range mm. of characters. Like, yeah, you know, his sisters, his friends. You know, it's I think it's a stroke of genius as well to set it in the nineties because you've got that nostalgia element for parents yeah. possibly. Hundreds of the, the children are like, oh, I've read. Do you know what I mean? There's all that, and there's exactly. yeah. So in the yeah. early nineties, no mobile phones, no internet. Like it's a really yeah. It's actually days. Yeah, the kids reading it. Kids, kids would be like, what? How, yeah. how did you go? You might as well be cheaters. You know yeah. like, what is this for? <laughs> well, time people refer to it as the nineteen hundreds, but it's kind of <laughs> <impressive>. <laughs> But anyway. <laughs> So it's about the time that we ask the Melanin Magic question, um, which is, what are your hopes and dreams for Black British culture in the next five to ten years? And do you have any insights on how we're going to get there? Yeah, um, I've actually got an answer for this one. Um, I want recognition and I want that in the truest sense of the word. Right. I feel like the existence of being black in this world, definitely in the West, means that there are certain realities of what we have to do just to exist mm. and what it means to survive and thrive in the world. We have to operate. Like I was talking to my sister recently about this. And then one of the phrases that came up was, that uh, you know, we have to operate with different physics because the world that we're in was not made in our favor. Mm. And it's actually made against our favor. If you look at what happened since, you know, the scramble for Africa, you know, transatlantic slavery, the economic exploitation of the African continent and everything that came with that. So we have to operate in different physics just to exist in this world. Like gravity goes the other way for us. And because of that, we need to be recognized for just the daily like efforts that we have to go through just to exist. Yeah. It means for all of us just to make it this far. It's remarkable mm -hmm. if we can get recognized for that and if that can be recognized across the world start mm -hmm. to make this absurd situation of racism still happening in 2022 that will start to get rid of that and also recognition like the the meaning of the word is interesting because to recognize doesn't just mean to see it and go oh i know what that is it means to actually recognize like to actually understand it in a whole new way See, if we can get blackness understood in a whole new way by the whole world, then we can move forward. And I feel like we, we, we're, we're closer to that than we maybe think sometimes, because the more we share our stories, plural, the more we expose our truths to the world, the more we explore our, 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 our roots collectively. You know, when people like Beyonce start getting Afrocentric, you know, something's going on because that wasn't happening in the 90s. 100%, yeah. American superstars couldn't care less about their Africa roots in the 90s. Not in a, sort of, but not in a, well, there was an Afrocentric movement that came about and that was a big thing, you know, the, the Erica Badu, the Tropical Quest, but there was the superstars. There was a whole period of time when, they, you know, they're just, but so. so much different now, isn't there? 
Yeah, and I think that's really, really special. So I'm optimistic. Five years might be a bit optimistic. Ten years, yeah, maybe, maybe. Recognition, if that makes any Yeah, no, I love that answer. And I, I definitely, when you were speaking, I was thinking that there needs to be recognition, recognition within the culture, both like here and kind of on the continent as well. Um, because there's still, you know, that in some places, that notion that um, what's West is best and, yeah. and stuff. And, and uh, but although there is, it's changing, like going to um, Ghana, it, every time I go, I just love the evolution and the changes and it, it's great. And, and people are mm. kind of putting back in whether people are going back or it's people who are still there and not wanting to come over, but keep the talent and everything on, on the soil. So, yeah. yeah, but I do think when you recognise what we have inside and, and the value, because obviously there's the value in the people and the and the kind of soil that exactly. we've been exploited at, but kind of devalued first to then kind of get it on the cheap. But then it is, it's the, yeah. So I, I think that's really important um, as well. But no, I love your answer. Yeah, me too. Um, and yeah, and then with the Beyonce thing, so I'm having a Beyonce, but I've been a big Beyonce fan for ages, but I wasn't so much into like Lemonade, no, no, no. but I've Gosh, been I mixing not her. <laughs> Sorry if I bore you, but um, I just, isn't she no, like no, anybody else you, yeah. maybe having like a, on a journey of self-exploration and maybe, you know, like in a, in a way in the early 90s, yes, she had a platform, but she's really got a platform now and she's the one calling the shots, whereas like 30 years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's great, and if it encourages other people to kind of look into their culture, but there's been more people. Like I think there's been quite a few celebrities saying that they're going to retire in Ghana. Yeah, and Ghana. I don't know if it's because of the year of the t- return, but yeah. Ghana just seems to be, be very much the kind of designation for a lot of celebrities. And I think it's amazing because people now are asking me, "Aren't you from Ghana?" Like my friends yeah. that I've, I've known for years. <laughs> and I'm like, "Why is it now popular? Like, what have yeah, you yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. not for you now. It's not for you. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Too late. You should have asked them that twenty years ago. You know. Yeah, but again, it's one of those things. Like, you know, at least people are asking the right questions. At least people are recognizing that there is this stuff far from you know flies and starving people. There's so much more depth to Africa. So I'm very proud of the fact that people are asking questions. But it's, I suppose, it shouldn't take a Beyonce or a Dave Chappelle to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, I'm with you on that, totally. So, Jeffrey, how can our listeners get in touch with you, uh, like follow you on social media, find out about your wonderful new book? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, social media. Unfortunately, I'm on Twitter, on that crazy playground, you know, <laughs> people just shout at each other. I'm on Twitter, Jeffrey K. Boachie, one word. I'm on Instagram as well, but I don't use it very well. I don't know how to use Instagram. I, I, I'm not sure what to do with it, but I'm on it. Um, <laughs> well that's it I'm not on TikTok which I think means I'm old because I think if you're young you're on TikTok if you're old you're not so even if you're like 90 years old if you're on TikTok you're actually young yeah. <laughs> I'm just downloading TikTok one sec there you go there you go that's how you stay young I swear to you um, so yeah Twitter Instagram and then um, uh, yeah uh, I've got a website we've got there's lots of information about my books and stuff jeffreyboachie.co.uk um and and yeah just uh thank you for this and thank you to everyone that's like rocking with me because because it's um it's all about that shared journey and I'm, I'm i'm incredibly humbled just to be able to talk to people and talk to yourselves and you know oh, we're- so yes yeah, it's, it's huge for me thank you. you're so lovely yeah this has been a real honor uh, <laughs> i really appreciate your time and getting to know you better and it's been fascinating. yeah that's what it's all about and the universe yeah. has a way of putting people together. There's only like 600 people in the universe and you meet, you eventually meet everyone. There's only 600 yeah. people. Everyone else is an extra. So <laughs> slowly we're going to meet all, we're going to meet everyone. And then, okay, cool. You know, so. Look, we- I do love, I do love networking as well, but I, we meet some amazing, amazing people through Afrolids and you are just such mm. a lovely person. Your sisters have done well with you. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. Bond, you, you have done very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big sis, Marcy and Phyllis, both of them. My word. Uh, and you're doing great thing. Like honestly, the yeah, you you write 
on such really important subjects and you the way especially you know saying that it's for young people at heart but you know whether you're like young chronologically or whatever but um the way that you explain things is really powerful Mm. and I just love the thought of your books on on bookshelves and being read because that they they yeah because it's gonna that's how hearts and minds get changed I think if you Mm. if you've not come across some issues that you know you you write about or not aware of it then you you do kind of explain it in a a brilliant way so keep doing what you're doing and um, yeah to kind of read more and and also really excited about your kind of fiction I'm so excited yeah Yeah, I'm listen I mean I know I shouldn't say but but they're good they're really good I've been comparing them to books out there these are the real deal I'm so happy when they come out I'm really happy with them you know um yeah super fun like loads of adventure and just like funny and characters that I've fallen in love with so you know I know that other people fall in love with them too so yeah brilliant amazing yeah we can't wait um well that's it from us today so thank you so much Jeffrey for joining it has been an absolute honor I know our listeners would have found today not just interesting but like the the, the stories your voice just how you explain things, everything about you is just, it's just so endearing and, and it's really educational as well. You can definitely tell that you're a headmaster um, yeah. in a good way, in a good way. Briefly. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much and join us again next time.